The Sign Out Podcast has partnered with Outdoor by Four to bring you this conversation. Welcome to the Sign Out Podcast. Here we interview individuals who are pursuing their passion and who want to share that story. Hey, you had a certain set of experiences. They were your own. How are we going to look at this and go, go that way, right? Forward progress. As I looked into the suicides, biggest similarity I could see was they lost their identity. The second you think you've done it all or know it all, you're not. You're a fool. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Sign Out Podcast, another fun edition that we have going on today, partnered with Outdoor by Four to bring you a great guest, Brian Ribera, who is president and founder of Military Mobility. We're going to dig into that, but we're just excited. Once again, Outdoor by Four is bringing us some great guest. And I know Brian and Frank had met at one time in the past and Brian and I recently hooked up so we could talk about what Brian's been doing, um, what he's done in the past, what he's done in the future. But uh, Brian, just give us a really quick overview of military mobility before we jump into who you are. Yeah, for sure. And, and again, thanks for having me. Very, real happy to be here. Uh, military mobility is a 501c3 nonprofit that specializes in suicide prevention and increasing health and wellness for veterans. Well, that is a great cause to do um, and to really be a part of. I would say that your background obviously has led you to starting this organization and being very active in veterans. So what is it in your background that got you to this point? Well, I'm from Jersey. So first and foremost, they kind of train you to that, you know, New Jersey is the center of the universe. There's more uh, racehorses there than Kentucky more shipwrecks per square mile than anywhere else in the world. I don't know if that's a, a good thing to brag about, though. You know what's funny is I have some New Jersey friends, and they are very, very proud of New Jersey, just like us Texans are proud of Texas. You know, it is, and I really wouldn't have it any other way growing up there. Um, and that the word grit comes to mind. You know, we kind of grew up in the shadow of, of New York, what was there, and, you know, cutting school and going up there and having a, a good time. But at the same time, we, we grew up on these horse farms down at the ocean um, and, uh, you know, playing ice hockey and all that. And all that led towards kind of where you're going with this. So, you know, I, I've worn a lot of different hats throughout my career, but most notably, I, I spent 23 years in the, in the military as a Navy SEAL, first as an enlisted guy. And then I commissioned as an officer. How did you get to that point? How did you how did you get to what made you decide to go into the military? Oh, man. Um well, um, my family, my grandfather, my mom's dad, awesome guy, Pop, as we called him, um, he was a World War II guy in the Navy. And when he came home, he ended up being the uh, police officer, rose to become the chief of police. And, um, and my uncle actually retired same day in the same year I did. I did my, you know, piddly time, but he did 38 years as a police officer in New Jersey. Isn't that wow. something? Um, my brother's career police, police officer out there and my nephew just started police academy. Uh, so we, you know, I, I guess the point being our, our family has this lineage of, of service um, to our nation, both with the, the sword being the military overseas and the, and the shield at home. Um, my grandfather, my uncle, man, like just functional, functional people. Um, and, you know, we had a beach house and we'd go out in the bay and he taught you how to how the crab just using the we couldn't use a net, you know, the crab trap that comes up. We could just use a string. Right. 
sneak the, the net in off on the side and come in and learn how to put the crabs to sleep or rubbing their bellies and all that. Catching eels with our bare hands with terry cloth towels and tastes like chicken and blowfish and all that type of stuff. Um, and then um, really this, this challenge of uh, the ocean being right there, you know, summertime, blah, everybody goes to the beach, right? <laughs> it's, it's nice out and we're there too. But you wake up in the morning and it's cold out and it's dark. Maybe there's snow on the ground and there's just these massive waves coming in there. And there's, you know, small town, there's nothing to do. Um, yeah, we're going to go out in that. So um, we grew up, our crew, which I'm still great friends with a lot of people I grew up with, um, by definition, true watermen, every aspect of, of being in the ocean. Right. And, and that was me, you know, breath held diving. I went to high school. I was in the 94 nationals for free diving. Um, and spearfishing, um, but we would just do every aspect of, of being in the water. Um, so all that led towards just challenging myself. And we're, you know, kids. We had a lot of woods, the pine barrens around us. Got a hold of, you know, we'd have fights with these wrist rockets and BB guns. You know, we're supposed to only do a couple pumps and hanging out in the basement and all that yep. stuff. Yeah, it's out. Um, but it was a lot of fun and it kind of led towards just challenging myself and seeing what was out there. I enjoyed being a part of a team. I had played ice hockey my whole life growing up. And I heard about the first time I ever heard of a Navy SEAL. Man, don't quote me, but I want to say it was, I think, 89 in the wake of, of uh, Panama, of the, the SEALs from SEAL Team 4 going into Patia. Um, you know, tragic loss of life. They lost four guys there. Um, and I read a Reader's Digest article that older folks will probably know what that is, but it's these right. little magazines that used to look at. Um, and they had an article about a, a guy named John Connors that, uh, that passed away there. And they talked about him doing construction. I had an interest in, in doing all that later on, you know, framed houses during the summer and all that. Um, and he would he would run these these double iron or Ironmans. And it was just really this, the way this article portrayed this guy. I really saw a lot of either myself or maybe what I wanted myself to be in him. Um, and I remember the article said it was something to the effect of these newspaper reporters were there at the parents' house at the footsteps and she's talking to the mom. She's like, your son had a degree and he had this and he had that. And like, and she goes, why would, why would he want to join the military? And the mom said, if you have to ask that question, you wouldn't understand the answer. Um, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL and go to SEAL Team 4. Um, and, you know, effort, luck, a little bit of both. That's exactly what ended up happening. So There's a lot of hard work in that. I know that's for sure. And especially the time that you were in. I mean, that's you're basically in probably pre-9-11, right? 98, and, 20. Yep. Right. So then you're like, you didn't know you watch these movies and you think stuff's going on all the time, you know, but it really wasn't in that degree. I mean, there was things going on, but when I checked in to SEAL Team 4, you know, when you graduate, buds, you get your, they give you a wish list of like, choose your top three teams. And if you're smart, you're going to make them all on the the coast that you want to go to either Virginia Beach or San Diego. um, So I, you know, team four out there and end up ended up getting it um but you checked in i mean and just the caliber of the people that you're around right um but if a guy had been on a real world mission you're like you know you're like whispers in the hallway no kidding right 
Um, you, you had the remnants of some of the, the Vietnam guys there. I mean, and then really from, you know, 1980s post-Vietnam era to early 2000s, 9-11, you think about it, you had 20 years of special operations forces, you know, including the SEAL teams that had been, you know, a handful of guys that had been a handful of missions that lasted a handful of hours. Um, and then fast forward, you know, 9-11, war on two fronts, Iraq, Afghanistan, more action you could shake a stick at. If a guy hadn't been in a gunfight, you're like, but you're like, where have you been hiding, mother? Right. You know, um, and that was just it was just a big it was a thing. Um, it was a very it was a big shift in the dynamic. You know, it, it was kind of this adage of, of being in the NFL, but never getting to play a game. Now, you know, our training preparing, it's it's tough and some cases tougher than war, but it's still not that same validation that every one of us is looking for. Right. To be kind of battle proven. Um, I'm a firm believer that it's a warrior's way to be prepared. The last thing you ever want to be found in that final moment is wanting. I should have trained better, harder, smarter, right? So, you know, in a certain respect, you know, you're a warrior, you're a warrior. And um, and I, I applaud that regardless. Um, but that kind of battle proven thing, like, you know, that's what people were, were coming in for. Um, so you had people that the retention on the, on the, the SEAL team side was, was great. You had people, man, I've got all this training. I've been for so long. Yeah, I'll do four more years. Yeah, I'll do four more years. And you had people doing a career. God bless them. Never got to really see action. I mean, again, it doesn't take away from them or their character. And then all of a sudden, you know, this dynamic changes. We have a war. And I think people were learning a lot in a short amount of time and going, cool. I'm not a coward in battle. Great. I got to kill some people. Um, these rules are dumb because they really are. Um, you know, I don't feel like dying at the hands of a 16 year old with an AK undergoing all this kind of stupid jackassery that the government or the military has in store for us, like not letting us do our job. Um, I just want to go be with my family. I'm going to go make a million bucks, right? Whatever it's going to be. So you have people getting this massive amount of experience in you know, four to six years. And they're like, yeah, I'm good. I've checked that box in my life. And they're getting out. And now you're losing all that experience that would have stuck around for a career, right? Now they and they because of the front, they came up with uh, two new SEAL teams. I was a plank owner of SEAL Team Ten, something I'm really proud of. Um, the term plank owner comes from when you know the days of wooden ships and Iron Men, where you actually had a hand in building the building the, the plank of the ship. And in the, the Navy, a SEAL team is looked at as a ship, you know, its command. So. Um, being a plant counter means you're the first ever members of that of that team, and you kind of mold it. Um, yeah, you being somebody that was in from, you got a lot of training, then you got a lot of experience. Twenty three years in, you saw it all. Um, really got to experience the highs and lows, obviously. So you're coming out very different than the guy that jumped in for maybe four or six years, maybe not, but a lot more there. Um, what was that? So once you start realizing, okay, I'm getting over this and you've lived this very high life. What I mean by that, you're at the top of the class with the most elite people, highly trained. And now you're like stepping out of that, right? Was that for you? Is that a big transition to come out of there? Yeah. Um, well, first I want to be careful. To note: you can never do it all. Um, 
I, I believe I've done a lot. Right. Um, you know, the second you think you've done it all or know it all, you're, you know, true. You're, you know, you think you're a master, you're, you're not, you're a fool. So, um, but yeah, I, I was exposed to a fair bit. If we're kind of moving towards transition now, wow. Um, yeah, that was, uh, that was, that was a, a big moment. And as we, you know, I, I, um, I, I got an incredible opportunity to go to graduate school while I was a naval officer, was training officer at one of the teams. And it was just kind of pause away from deploying actively. So it was still full-time school, full-time family, full-time work, but it was a time to kind of reflect on a lot of this. Um, I had had the loss of a, a, a you know, a, a few friends to suicide, unfortunately. At this point in time, lost over a hundred guys in the battlefield that I call my close friends. Um, and was just kind of processing all that, dealing with a lot of physical injuries myself, looking down the barrel of my third spinal surgery, which I ended up having, I'd had at this point, my legs ripped open, shoulders, five operations on my head, um, you know, cellulitis, meningitis, Lyme's disease, <laughs> you name it. So yeah, all this stuff's coming to a head. Um, and um, I, my capstone project was military mobility. And I, I started getting some motivation behind that. Um, started running those courses and I was running that for three years while I was still active duty running the nonprofit. Um, and then that kind of just, it all led towards, okay. You know, I, I think maybe a lot of us feel like you're still leaving something on the table and we get out cause you don't want to leave the boys, your crew. Mm -hmm. uh, you still want to, you know, feel capable. You still want to serve. Uh, at the same time, these other people need me at home, the, my family. Right. Um, so one thing I tell the veterans going through our courses, I go, if you're past all the reasons you joined the military and you're past all the reasons you reinvented for yourself to stay in the military, well, then it might be time to start looking at getting out, you know, um, and, and you got to face that stuff, because oftentimes the reason a veteran will, will tell you and tell, tell themselves they're getting out isn't the real reason. And we got to face that stuff before we're able to, to move forward. Right. Well, I'll, I will say you look good on screen and looking at you in the videos, you don't look like you're uh, too beat up, but no. I'm sure when you wake up in the morning, there's a rule number one, look cool. Right. <laughs> that's, that's really interesting that you got to start this, that, you know, you have so much time in the military. So you're already seeing like what it's like. You're looking down the road, you get to go to school and you have this project and you come up with this idea which is today military mobility. I think that's a great opportunity that you're starting to even work on it before even getting all the way out. So it was, you know, and, and I, I looked as I looked at the nonprofit world about what can be done with this the suicide number because it is right around 22 a day, um, and it, it just hit me hard. Um, the, these guys that I, I love, Chad Wilkinson, and um, man, I'm getting emotional just kind of uh, thinking about it. Um, but I, I looked and I saw two distinct sides in this the nonprofit world. On one side, I called it great content delivered poorly. It was this classroom-based stuff. Like, it briefs really well, but it just doesn't resonate well with the veterans going through it. And the other side of the spectrum, I saw a really fun experience, like the hunting, the fishing, but there's nothing behind it. You know, it's great that you take their mind off the problems and they get back home. They're dealing with the same shit they had before. So it almost makes this like perpetual woe is me veteran. After all, who wouldn't want to escape their problems, right? right? So we bridge the gap with experiential learning, much the way you learn the military, 
definitely the SEAL teams. You learn by doing and you're a part of it. It's not something you're given or just kind of led through. It's something that you actively have a, a guiding role in. So we have a five-day curriculum. Why? Because human beings are creatures of habit. You know, you drive the same roads home, you park in the same driveway, you walk up the same stairs, and you're going to think the same thoughts. So I need to physically rip you out of that environment to introduce new habits for positive health and wellness. We have roles and responsibilities that they come through. So, hey, you're the, and they revolve each day. You're the team leader, your logistics, your supply, your navigation. Like, hey, here's where we are and here's where we're going. You make some wrong turns. It's going to be a long day. So back brief and a half hour, you know, we're holding them accountable to go. It wasn't carrying a gun that made you special. It's that you can improvise and adapt and, and overcome and kind of defining what their identity looks like. Because if you make your identity your job, which can be you can be fired, it could be taken away, you can retire. Right. That can go away. But if, if the way you see yourself, if your identity is something permanent, you're, you're loyal, you're steadfast, you're determined, you're creative then no matter what you're doing, you're still whole in that same person. Because yep. as I looked into the suicides, originally I thought it was all these horrific combat experiences that people were going through. And in some cases that's the instance, but for the most part, it wasn't. And the biggest similarity I could see was they lost their identity. They're at home, the spouse is at work, kids are at school. They're looking out this amazing view, like retired or out, right? And they go, I could work on my truck. I could take my dog for a walk or I could do none of that. It just doesn't matter. There's no timeline. There's no purpose. There's no mission. The phone's not ringing. No one's knocking on the door. And that void is just filled because their brain is still spinning, right? At capacity. And that void is filled perfectly by now all this hypervigilance and hyper right? And then you add booze and pills and they're pulling the trigger. So we're, we're getting ahead of that by keeping them in, in that team environment. Yeah. Purpose in life for anyone is so important. And it doesn't matter if you're coming out of the military or what you're doing. But that is so key to mental health in a lot of ways to have that purpose. I thought it was interesting backtracking a little bit when you're talking about the structure of that course and how when I just think about the military, obviously, I've not been in the military, but I can assume that the structure is there and that's something they're so familiar with. So when they're walking back into a course with you guys, with veterans, they're like, oh, this feels really comfortable all of a sudden to the degree that they know that it's been planned out. Now, I know part of y'all's course also is to get them uncomfortable at times and kind of get those juices flowing again. Right. Right. And, and I like to say the, the environment is tough enough. Like I'm not going to be a tough guy, like for what? Right. Um, so it's, it's very much a, Hey, we're in this together. If it's really cold out or really hot, like bro, I'm right there with you. Yeah. We're all going through it. It's going to be long days. Right. Um, so I, I like to call it a tough, but tailored curriculum where it is this environment and what we're going over is arduous and going to kind of wear you down. And, and by design, what we do kind of our the catchphrase for, for military mobility and, and mobility for the audience. You know, I know most of the folks active duty or, or retired will know this, but mobility, it's the kind of play on words, but it's any platform that gets you from A to B and that, you know, as you're going, it could be Humvees, it could be, you know, Matt V's, it could be, dirt bikes or dog sleds or snowmobiles, the helicopters, the boats, those are called mobility platforms. And then kind of play on words being, I was struggling to find mobility in my life. And as I've come to find out, a lot of people who are physically or just dealing with emotional or spiritual mm -hmm. wounds as well are, are looking to regain that mobility. So that's what we're, uh, we're about. But I like to say we use the, the rugged geographic landscape as a medium for the personal and professional challenges we face in life. 
and a fleet of off-road vehicles to literally navigate and overcome these obstacles. So, you know, I, I like using the vehicles because nearly everybody gets behind the wheel of a vehicle almost every single day. And what they think is possible in a vehicle is kind of this known quantity. And they show up and we're like, hey, go over that rock. And they're like, I can't do that. But guess what? With a little training, they can. So it almost begs this response, like, what else can I, you know, now do? And I'm, I'm purposely inducing stress. You know, they're kind of white knuckle, they don't want to mess up the truck or embarrass themselves. And they get over the, you know, the obstacle, and there's kind of a, a moment of elation, moment of, of rest. But then there's another obstacle and another obstacle. So I'm literally doing a workout with their brain. Right. It has, you know, it's all designed out. And then we, nighttime, kind of gather around the campfire, fireside chat, roll this around. And each day is building on itself. So each day has a, a loose theme because no one wants anything rammed down their throat. We work on trust, team building, operations, management, leadership, and strategy. When I went to, I, w- I did my first Jeep Jamboree about a year ago. And I had done one other kind of some off-road driving at another place, but I took my buddy with me and he had no idea what he was getting into. Like he had no idea at all. And I'm like, well, we're about to do this in this vehicle. And he's like, no, we're not. And I'm like, yeah, we are. And it's going to do it actually fairly easy. And so it was two days of uh, granite rock trail driving down in South Texas, South Central Texas. And after two days, he was just blown away. He's like, nobody will believe me on what we just drove through. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's. Awesome. And that's cool, right? Like that, that bond that that's created between you and all the people that were there, right? Whether they were strangers or not strangers anymore. Exactly. When you go through that type of experience, right? If the, say you go back to work or you talk with them, it's like all these other people around here, they don't know you and I, we know you like, you guys look each other in the eye. You were there. Yep. Right. And that's what we're creating. We, we keep it a very small, intimate group because people aren't going to open up otherwise. Right. Um, and, and I strive more than anything else just to keep this very genuine environment. Um, yeah. And that's just all I know. That's how I was raised from these small teams. And that's what we we keep it together. Now, I, I do want to um, mention you had mentioned Jeep Jamboree. They're one of our main sponsors, Jeep Jamboree, USA, Pierce Umloff, the president. Yep. I can't say Sean Gulling, the vice president, um, Ty, ops guy, like they are the best crew out there. Um, so for anybody listening, if you have a Jeep, go out there. They have these adventure weekends all around the country. Um, and it's a, it's a bunch of fun. So we actually do some hybrid courses on the Rubicons, one of them. Um, the big horns and the bear tooths out here in Wyoming. Um, yeah, they, they just, they're so um, patriotic and, and supportive. So I, I really can't say enough about them. That's awesome. I know uh, Frank with Outdoor by Four has a good relationship with those guys as well and they support the magazine um but that experience was incredible from just a jeep owner's perspective i mean and again those friends that you make even in those two days you're like it's a really bonding experience absolutely and now i'm like looking at the calendar okay where's where do i want to go in the u.s and drive my jeep well and you know i think the 2023 registration is about to drop here real soon right 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 so going back to the course, um, I, I was just watching some of the videos online, but you are trying to teach them some other skill sets. Is that, was I reading that right? Like through the course itself, like emergency response and some other things or? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So th- there's, there's a lot, um, yeah. there's a lot dovetailed into it. So something for everyone. 
Now we uh, we do constant. This is very much custom built for the veterans coming through it. If any if anyone um, is a veteran who, who thinks they might be interested, come on uh, apply at militarymobility.com. Or if you're someone that uh, thinks a veteran might benefit from our program, please have them reach out as well. We do a consultation before you come to the course. Um, they put an application. Approval goes before our board of directors. We admit based on need. Uh, now, one thing we are, uh, we're, we're accredited by FEMA. So I, I became a, a FEMA program manager and military mobility is a quote unquote train the trainer for the CERT program. It stands for Community Emergency Response Team. So I was looking at everything. I was like, okay, they go through our awesome course, right? So what? Um, and, and I really do think a lot of it, but how to keep them engaged in that, that team environment. Now we do have some people come back and volunteer serve at higher levels. We help other people with networks that we have throughout the organization, um, CONUS. But I was thinking like, man, something like a volunteer firefighter where, you know, you, you might not get called, but you could, and that you could, that preparedness mindset that we all have will, will keep them going. You got the sticker on your truck, you got the backpack in your closet. It's, it's the need to feel needed. These are people who live a life of service. So I went to FEMA and I said, hey, I've you know, access to all these amazing veterans with overseas leadership experience, like what, what can we do? And we looked at search and rescue, which is, you know, sexy sounding, but for somebody who's probably has a job, maybe dealing with some injuries, trying to get, hold down a family, it's actually a lot of qualifications to keep up. So right. one step below that is cert. And the cool thing is it's a ready-made network that's nearly in every County, almost nationwide. Um, and, um, it, you can be involved in the, in the local community, you know, whether it's a, um, you know, fires or, or helping out with you know, CPR or, or kind of readiness. And you can do search and rescue. They call it light search and rescue. It has a, a limitation, but it's a pretty cool curriculum. So within our credit hours and uh, curriculum, we can, you know, give somebody that, that certification where they can go forth and become an individual augmentee wherever they're living. And then if something big happens, like a forest fire in California or you know, mudslide somewhere or flood New Orleans, they can go and, and they don't need us, right? Um, they can just go and start clearing roadways for food, fuel, medical supplies, and what have you. But yeah, we concentrate a lot on, on medical readiness, um, navigation, all these kind of key pillars to make it interesting. Things that military people generally would be interested in. They're generally, like I, I say, you walk through a parking lot on a military base, you don't see cars, not a whole lot of them. You see trucks, you see trucks, you see Jeeps, you see SUVs, right? And they all have these modifications on them. So we're leveraging this, this natural interest to increase their, their health and wellness. So we're kind of our curriculum is delivered through these the life of these vehicles. You know, one thing I say that in our, uh, our, our trucks, it's absolute truth. They go, hey, these trucks are older. They're beaten up, but they're proven. A lot like you. <laughs> it's, it's regular maintenance that keeps these things going. If you let the rust build up too much, it gets to be detrimental. Yeah, it makes it okay for these, you know, some of these older, big, tough guys to kind of talk about themselves and kind of realize, just take a step outside yourself and go, yeah, I'm not this young thing that I can just beat the crap out of and it's going to perform at 100% anymore. You know, right. time's taking its toll. You got TBIs, you got back injuries and all these things. You're essentially breathing through a straw. And I'd like to say, like, a lot of times you can still rise to the occasion, but it's taxing taxing you like nobody's business on the on the backside. So we have a lot of things to help with that and to assist. We also are, are, are working on their translation of their skills towards the professional development. 
um, you know, and to go big again, their post-service careers. Yeah. So if somebody's coming out, um, what is that when you speak a little bit more about that kind of the post-service careers, trying to help them identify that? Yeah. Um, one really cool thing is uh, we'll have at, at a course, you might have somebody who's been out for 10 years, somebody's been out for five years, somebody's been out for a year, and somebody's getting out in six months. You want to just sit there and listen in that room <laughs> to the conversation that's going around. Oh man, it's it's really cool. Just that kind of layered insight. And oh, don't forget this. I wish I knew this. Uh, it, it's invaluable. It, it really is incredible. Um, you know, some of the, the a lot of these people coming through. They're a lot smarter than me. I learn a lot from them. I think it's this you know equal exchange. And I, that's why selfishly, I, I love it. I love being there. I attend every single course that I can. But being able to kind of drop some of these pearls of wisdom that we see and go, you know, veterans do really well at, at startups where you're asked to you kind of have to be this jack all trade master of none. Um, a lot of people get pigeonholed, you know, civilian world. They're like, you're on an interview and they go, so what job did you do? Like, what program did you run? It's 25 year old kids like, yeah, I ran the whole province for like, you know, he's doing everything. <laughs> mm -hmm. They kind of get boxed in and it's it's tough. So the startup is a really good thing. Working in small to mid-cap companies like the size of a high school really appeals to veterans. Their personality can come out. You get lost at a place like Bloomberg where it's 5,000 plus people and you're kind of just a number. Um, I, I liken um, the corporate world to a, to a football team. They have a, a huddle. They make a plan. They go forth on the line and they execute the plan. Well, being in the military is a little bit more like a hockey team or a basketball team. Like there's a common goal. We all kind of know what it is. And you just kind of go out there and do it. Right. Um, and, and it's this really inverse world when I was getting my, my uh, graduate degree, inverse curve between education and, and academia, where education, or excuse me, uh, the military and academia. Academia will sit around and, and pontificate and come up with all this stuff like, what should the strategy be in Iraq and all this? And they'll come up with like maybe a darn good plan, but they'll never execute on it. It's just like, well, that would be good to do. And that's it. You're in the military. You're on like boots on the ground. And you're like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it today. Like, that's just how it is, right? You're like ill-prepared and throwing this thing. Wouldn't it be nice to have this nice kind of marriage in these two worlds? And that leads towards us. We, we, as a fundraising mechanism for military mobility, we run corporate adventure retreats, small teams, lead executives, team building, leadership. And, and you know, the God's honest truth is from a very young age, we've been making life or death decisions based on little to no information my entire adult life. So when you see this like paralysis by analysis with some of these people, it's like, now, nah, man. You know, hey, make a little bit of an investment, get moving, find out what ground truth is. You can only do so much planning. You know, it's it, it just getting them to understand that and that kind of rhythm. It, it's really great. So we're almost kind of getting that. I mean, because because they're the absolute masters at what they do. I'm not going to help them be a better finance person or this or that. Right. But I can make their foundation bigger. And we just have incredible people. Colonel Dane Nielsen flew around the presidential staff out of Andrews for 13 years. Uh, Colonel Wiley, 28-year uh, Force Recon guy, Mike Meredith, second guy in charge of the 7th Fleet. I mean, just 
these guys and their experience, very well-rounded, really cool stuff. A lot of interagency people. So you get everybody sitting around the campfire. Conversations are, are incredible. Well, in your education, I mean, yes, you do have degrees and you've gone and done grad school, but the education of a high-level operative coming out of any branch of the military is invaluable. It's millions of dollars of training. And that translates so many ways to leading people that you'll never get in a corporate world. It's just different. Yeah, and I, I've seen that a lot. I've had um, a, a good amount of friends, you know, that we all keep in touch and everyone in their own way is, you know, really successful in, in doing what, you know, following their, their heart. Um, one of my buddies is working for a big oil company down in Texas. And, you know, he's nobody other than himself. This guy wants to hire me. He goes, I don't know anything about oil. I don't know. This, you know, he's like, he's like, I don't need you to know about oil, man. I need you to know about people. And you do. You're the guy, you know, and they brought him in. And yeah, it was just really cool. And, you know, and on the, um, this kind of jumped in my head on the subject of, of getting out and going your own way. It's, it's um, another lesson is don't compare yourself to other people. Mm. I think everyone can benefit from this, but for the military, we kind of institutionalized our whole life, right? What'd you get on the time to run? What was your optical course? What was your swim time? What award did you get? What deployment did you get? What role are you filling? Right? All these things. You're just looking your whole life, your career. What, what's he do? What's he do? And that's how we all stay competitive with each other. And then all one, you know, one day it's like, hey, thanks for coming. And you're just like, and so I had a I had a friend, this guy Murph, he's my big wave surfing partner in San Diego before I joined the military. And you know, he knew me before all the cool guy stuff and all that. And uh, he, he called me up. He goes, hey, I heard you getting out. Good for you. He goes, I, I want to talk to you about choice. And I want to talk to you about preference. He goes, I might ask you where you want to go for dinner. And you'll probably say, I don't care. It's like, Murph, I, I wouldn't care. He goes, but it's okay to say, I want to get Thai food. He goes, what, what I'm getting at is it's okay at this point in your life to kind of voice what, what, you, what you want. He goes, now, if you have too much choice and you have too much preference, you're self-centered and F you. Right? But he goes, if you're on a job interview, can you tell them what they want to hear to get the job? He goes, I'm sure of it. Can you do the job? He goes, I'm absolutely sure of it. Do you want to do the job? Right? This is your time to develop parts of you that you may have stifled in lieu of other things, the teamwork and the mission accomplishment and all that. And it was a really nice conversation, I'll tell you, to have to kind of get that perspective, especially from an old trusted friend, to keep that in the back of your mind because you're you're often so much focused on I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. Right. But do you want to do it? And, and I see the statistic and it's often right. Stats used kind of on un, an unfriendly way to say, Oh, veterans change more, more jobs more quickly than anybody else when they're getting out of the military. I go, Oh, that's a great thing. Cause they're, they're finally figuring out what they want to do, not what they can do. Right. It's not that they're dysfunctional or can't hang. They can hang. They prove they can hang through all the BS they've done it in the military. They just don't want to do it anymore. They're not, you know, right. They've put up with it. They're like, okay, I've done enough of this. Well, I think it's interesting too, because you can take that and take that out of military life and apply that to anyone about really trying to find what is your preference in life? You know, what do you want to do that is fulfilling, that gives you purpose that will then lead to better things about you, whether that's mental health um, and things like that. So I think it's important, like, you know, we can sit and talk about a lot of cool military things here. But what you're teaching is stuff that anybody can latch on to in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, and I guess you have to start somewhere. I, I was talking a lot about this stuff and, and to civilian people, and they go, man, I, I relate so much to what you're saying. 
And it, it, at the end of the day, it's, yeah, we have veteran specific things we're doing, but you know, we're all just people and mm-hmm. military mobility is uh, along those lines. We're open to all branches of the military. So you can even be national guard. We're now taking case by case basis to um, first responders, police, we've got uh, FBI come out as well. So we're getting away from this clickish. I was this guy. I was that guy. I was this person, right? I kind of grabbed them from the clicks of what, you know, different job titles and all that, that they had their identity in the military. And I grabbed them and I'm going, Hey, we're all just veterans. And I'm pushing them towards, Hey, we're all just people. Your new team is your family, right? Cause you see so many of these people just living in the past. It's not time to live in the past anymore, right? We got to let a lot of stuff go, take a look at it a certain way. Uh, we had brought our curriculum to, um, University of Pennsylvania, Wharton School of Business. I've done some professional development uh, courses there and um, working with some folks that had um, were uh, with Angela Duckworth. She wrote this amazing book called Grit and all that. Um, and by and through, they, they um, were working with the actor, Tom Hardy. Um, and, you know, I, I, what I respect about actors is really their ability to have that true empathy to really live in someone else's shoes, right? Um, especially these kind of method actors like Tom, like these people, they do it. They got the wallet in their pocket. Like, so he goes, I'm, I'm living, I'm this person for a year or two, right? Like they're in it. But inevitably, the, the last day comes and the last scene, they go cut. And I'm just expected to go off and be this other person. And use this word, he goes, there's just this kind of residue that stays with me from having been that person. And I really like that word because residue doesn't tell you if it's good. It doesn't tell you if it's bad. It's just kind of there. Right. And it's, it's a great conversation to have with the veterans that come through our course. And it, it helps them take a step outside themselves and look at it from the outside in like, hey, you had a certain set of experiences. They were your own. How are we going to look at this and go? Go that way, right? Forward progress. Now, anything in your life has residue. You know, I, I grew up, man, I was a I was a dishwasher, I used to frame houses, I worked at the boardwalk, I did like that all has its own residue. The military is just a different form of it, right? And um I, I, it's just a, a healthy way. We've seen a lot of success off of of, of touching um that kind of aspect and that mentality. Man, that's some good stuff. You know, we were talking before we got on, you're really busy traveling, moving around like that. What is the future for military mobility? What are you all working on next year in the next couple of years? Are, are there changes coming or is it, you know, we're going to keep doing this program, but what's the future look like for you guys? Yeah, we're, um, you know, we started in 2017. So approaching year six here, um, which is unbelievable. It's gone by so quick. Absolutely love it. Um, we finally figured out our yearly schedule of, okay, winter, we got our Togedi snowmobiling course, um, April, Easter Jeep Safari, right? So have you, and, and what vendor shows we're hitting and, and what courses we're hitting. Um, we can always add or unfortunately subtract to, uh, a course depending on funding. We run about six to eight courses a year with uh, many other smaller events and then the vendor shows and all that depending on funding. What we're concentrating on right now, because we have the operations, we have the, the courses, we have most of our infrastructure, right? It's a lot of upkeep on that stuff. We're really looking at forming those strategic relationships with companies that will be with us and, and will make an enduring commitment um, to support and, and 
you know, show their patriotism to, to save these veteran lives. Uh, and, and as a point of pride, we haven't lost any veterans that have come through our course. Um, so we, I, I don't know. I, I couldn't do anything else. Um, there's no end in sight for that. We're looking at scaling slowly, you know, slow growth uh, to maintain that, that quality control for sure. Um, so, yeah, really enduring strategic relations. We hired a grant writer. She's in year two. And that's been incredible of, of putting us in touch with um, some amazing foundations around the country that are uh, giving their support. And we're, we're very grateful for that. So if somebody that hears this wants to get involved and help out, what's the best and not not from the standpoint of coming to the class, but to support your organization, what's the best thing they can do? You can contact us through the website. There's a contact us at militarymobility.com. Uh, you can email info at militarymobility.com. And, and we get that from time to time. People saying, hey, I got property here. I have this. I'd like to help out in some way. Um, we'll see if we can can make work. And we're very grateful for all the, the interest we've received. Um, there's so many just great Americans out there. Yeah. So obviously you can donate straight from that side as well, right? For sure. Yeah. It's all, you know, of course, being a 501c3 tax deductible and tax time is coming up here for any of the, the businesses or, or what have you. So. Kind of the other thing too, I would say is um, you have quite a few partners listed on your page, different people that support what you are doing. So I would encourage the listeners just to go look on that page and see what companies are putting their money where their mouth is and supporting your cause and what you're trying to do to help these veterans out and train others. So I think that's another thing is to be able to support those companies because they in turn can support you if they're doing better and they're more apt to give to organizations like yours. So I would encourage listeners to find the companies that, yes, they're for-profit, but they have a mission behind that for-profit where they're trying to take some of their resources and better utilize them. So check out Brian's page on that website as well. Man, we've had a great conversation today. Um, I, I think you have really created something very unique and cool um, in giving these guys a chance to get together to find some purpose, to get training out of it. Um, I, I'm just really excited that we got to talk today. So I want to thank you for um, putting some time aside and letting us get in your busy schedule. Hey, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Really appreciate the exposure and helping share this and help spread the word. So uh, yeah, look forward to staying in touch and thank you all. For sure. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for listening to the Sign Out Podcast. Make sure you check out militarymobility.com. You can learn more about what they're doing and you can hear the stories of how they have helped people. Special thanks to four-wheel pop-up campers, purveyors of vehicle-based adventure, for their generous support of the Sign Out Podcast. Learn more about four-wheel pop-up campers and their variety of base camp adventure products by visiting 4wh.com. That's F-O-U-R-W-H dot com. And make sure you check out our website at signoutco.com. We have a bunch of original design t-shirts and hats and stickers. They're very cool. Check them out. And if you have about 30 seconds, if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be much appreciated. It really helps us out. The music in this episode was made by me, Caleb J. Murphy. And if you want to hear more of my music, check out calebjmurphy.com. Again, thank you for listening to the Sign Out Podcast. 
and we will talk to you next time. The Sign Out Podcast is proudly brought to you by Outdoor by Four Magazine, a preeminent publication for responsible vehicle-based adventure travel, including overlanding. Outdoor by Four shares family-friendly content that resonates with a broad audience of adventurers, whether in a 4x4 vehicle, on two wheels, in a canoe or kayak, or on foot. Outdoor by Four's focus is on visual storytelling that appeals to all types of outdoor enthusiasts, while providing expert advice as well as dynamic photography and stories that inspire. You can pick up a copy of Outdoor by Four magazine by visiting your local bookstore or by going to outdoorx4.com. That's outdoorx, the number four, dot com.